0: Up to the 9-foot homemade Oak Bar. My name is Craig Toth, your host of Minor League News and Brews, talking about everything around the Pirates Minor League system and giving you some beer reviews at the end of the show. If you're listening to this, and especially if you're a regular listener, you know that this is coming to you a little bit later than normal. Most of the times it comes out uh, first thing Saturday morning, recording this on Saturday afternoon. That's just what happens when life throws you a a couple curveballs, especially a kiddo who has been sick uh, since Tuesday while working the regular gig and doing some other stuff throughout the week. Um, So this is just coming to you a little bit later, but definitely still wanted to get it out to you. If you look at the title of this one, it is peaking my interest. Uh, That would be something that I have done um, in my time when I was a blogger. I mean, I didn't stop being a blogger all that long ago, but it's been a while since I wrote these articles, um, usually around January, February each year, I would do a list of the top five pirates prospects that were piquing my interest would usually spell it with the P.E.A.K. Uh, and would be pointed out that that was incorrect. It was not the per, you know, the the right usage of the word. It's actually the other peaking. Uh, but I also explained that it was a play on words. Uh, so, but this time, just to kind of avoid uh, those those little uh, DMs out to me and, and comments and different stuff, I will spell it the correct way. Before I get started, though, on that, I did want to go over some things that, once again, people had uh, put in my DMs, some stuff that was reached out about. The first thing happened not too long after the last episode came out where I was talking about the international prospects that had been signed. Um, Ethan Houlihan, if you don't follow Ethan, you absolutely should. Uh, his stuff on the rules. I think he just put something out on the the PPI, the, the people who are listed uh, within the the top 100 prospects. Um, if they are elevated on opening day and stay there the whole season and you know get in a certain ranking within the awards, then you know that you get that comp pick the next year, something we've already seen happen. Um, also, his payroll is is spot on uh, throughout the off season and going into the season throughout there. Um, just the little things. If that's something that interests you, you should absolutely follow him. He's a guy I reach out to all the time. But he uh, came and to me and said that there were, you know, some players that uh, actually had been signed. Uh, and given bonuses after the episode had released. Um, a lot of that stuff was on the uh, the Bucks on Deck. Um, Anthony Murphy, another person you absolutely have to follow especially concerning the minor leagues, uh, reading the Bucks on deck, um, that some of those bonuses had been handed out. So everybody that wants to go ahead, please check those out. Those guys have uh, the most up-to-date stuff. It just happened that I had recorded about an hour or so before that uh, became public knowledge. Uh, Another thing that happened within the past couple days is that the farm system rankings had come out. uh, ESPN, Kylie McDaniel, Baseball America, and to many Pirates fans' disappointment um, in Baseball America, the Pirates were ranked as the 12th best uh, farm system with the Brewers coming in second on that list, the Cubs at four the Reds at 11, and the Cards, the only ones behind the Pirates, at 20. ESPN, they were 14th, the Cubs came in at 2nd, the Brewers at 5th, the Reds at 10th, and the Cards at 18th. This is something that is definitely disappointing. I don't want to surecoat that, obviously, you want to have you know the Pirates stay in that top five, maybe you know even in the top two, um, especially when a team like the Baltimore Orioles, 100 win, 101 wins last year, and they still have the top farm system, uh, just because I mean it's just an absolutely uh, stacked system, which kind of goes into the second thing. Uh, that I had been kind of asked to discuss a little bit, um, and that was the Corbin-Burns trade to the Orioles. Definitely happy that, you know, Corbin-Burns is out of the NL Central, has given the Pirates fits. Uh, But a lot of this was based on what people saw as, I saw as a, you know, the Orioles pulled one over on the Brewers, that it was a meh return, uh, that they could have seen, you know, the Orioles give up more or the Brewers get more uh, for, you know, a former Cy Young winner, uh, but is a guy who is only on his last year of arbitration here, more than likely will be heading uh, to free agency after this season. Don't really see him, you know, locking up to a long-term deal with the Orioles. If that happened, I would be extremely surprised. But the bigger part was that, I mean, along with the comp pick, I believe it's the 34th pick overall in this year's draft, which was a fairly, I guess, smart move by the Brewers if they were going to trade him to to be able to get one of those comp picks because if they would have waited till after this season, you know, extended the qualifying offer, they would have gotten, you know, a comp pick as well if if somebody, you know, would have signed him after that, which somebody will sign him so they they would get that if they extended that qualifying offer. So, I mean, getting that back but then also getting, you know, two guys that are and in some cases were Uh, Top 100 prospects uh, on uh, different rankings, different sites, MLB ready. And I did see some stuff out there is like, you know, trading for a reliever and a a utility infielder. Uh, For one thing, uh, D.L. Hall, the pitcher that the Brewers got back, um, is a guy who was used as a reliever for the Orioles last season towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. But that was more out of a necessity due to injury uh, due to arms wearing out Um, has been a starter throughout his, his minor league career. And even last year uh, in two levels, uh, he had uh, twelve starts and nineteen appearances. Uh, usually, kind of does that even the year before. Uh, Twenty starts and twenty-four appearances. And the the Brewers had room, <laughs> especially giving up Burns, had room and have room um, in that rotation to kind of stretch him out. Uh, the the Orioles, you know, especially in acquiring Burns, and then. You know, the other players that that would be, you know, had started last year and, and were performing well, uh, he really didn't have a spot in that rotation. So, you know, good on the Orioles for going for it this season, you know, getting Corbin Burns, realizing that, you know, Hall could have a spot in future years but really wasn't going to have a place this year, uh, barring some sort of injuries. Uh, Definitely do have other pitchers who are on the cusp. But, yeah, when people call him a reliever, yes, he was used as a reliever. But that is something you see with top prospects when they are brought up uh, at first. It's not something, you know, the Pirates, uh, we've seen with them, with like a Quinn Priester, you know, even Rowanzi the year before, Luis Ortiz, um, even though Rowe did go into uh, the bullpen kind of just be out of ineffectiveness – Uh, this past uh, season but i mean a team that's going for it you're going to have all arms on deck and especially with injuries i I look for the brewers to kind of stretch him out and and get him and have him as a part of the rotation Uh, pitched pretty well in the minors last year at 398 era a one point three seven whip uh, a little bit high i was having some issues with control with the walks and stuff if you can get that um under wraps a little bit i mean could be a, a very good pickup for the brewers and a guy that could slot right into the rotation this year and the second player the one that was referred to as the utility infielder um, another guy you see in the top 100 prospect lists. Um, he came up and only had 33 at-bats uh, for the Orioles. Um, obviously struggled in those at-bats, didn't, you know, get off to that hot start. But, you know, last year um, in AAA, over 349 at-bats, uh, he slashed 321, 378, 507, good, for an 855 OPS. He's a guy that has slid around the infield, but it's also like based on need. I mean, the the Brewers had, I mean, the Orioles had people at those positions. Um so it, it was kind of like, oh, if he needed to come up for whatever reason, but I mean, right now for the Brewers, I mean, you do have a shortstop in, in Willie Adamas, but it's another guy who could potentially be on the trading block. Um, definitely some rumors swirling around that. If it doesn't happen you know, before the season, something that could definitely happen in season. And you could have you know Joey Ortiz go straight into that shortstop. But for the time being, you could have him bounce around just because he's a utility man now doesn't mean he can't find his spot um, within the infield. And for a guy that has, you know, very high, you know, barrel rates, just a very patient, very good hitter. um, Everybody was just like, if this prospect wasn't named, you know, Jackson Holiday or a Colton Cowser, a Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, Grayson Rodriguez or Gunnar Henderson, you know, the players of that ilk, that this was just a a complete meh whiff of a trade. I, I saw a lot of things of you know they didn't have to give up any of their top five prospects. But you had Joey Ortiz listed this year as your sixth prospect, so it's not like he was too far off. Um, and like I said, just a, definitely a highly touted prospect. I uh, I think a lot of this comes from the fact that. A lot of people are just, you know, pirates fans. And, you know, if they're not complete, you know, kind of prospect junkies like myself, and I'm not even on the level of of some people uh, that are pirates prospect fans, but you don't really know a lot about players um, in other organizations. I'm lucky enough. That I am friends with uh, Eric Birdland, Eric Garfield. Which obviously, if it's Birdland, you go, you watch his stuff. Yes, he does. You know, look at the Pirates prospects in Bradenton, also in the Florida Complex League. Uh, but is you know an, an O's fan and, and follows them as well. It's kind of nice that you know you got Sarasota and Bradenton right there, uh, and just a guy that really likes prospects. But I knew who some I knew who uh, DL Hall was I knew who Joey Ortiz was I've known who they've been for the past couple of years and very good ball players. so yeah if you don't know you know a certain number of people you know outside of the ones that I named like the big ones that if it wasn't one of them then this is not like a great return um, I did read an article from The Athletic earlier Uh, And you know, giving grades, I did see some people giving like a C plus to the Brewers um, in this trade. Most of them was like around a B. uh, But if you looked on social media, most people would say that it was a D or an F, uh, just because they weren't able to get those high end guys. But I I do think this will um, and should be a good you know trade for the Brewers. I mean, obviously going to miss Corbin Burns, but the return that they got was actually. Know, pretty good in my estimation for a guy with, you know, what that last year of arbitration, one year of control and, and kind of going for it this season. And the last thing I got was was kind of based upon just the prospect rankings in general. And it was it's like, OK, well, you do a minor league news and brews on the pirate system. You know, why don't you do your own, you know, top 30? for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And my answer back to them was, is that, I mean, baseball America exists. Baseball prospectus is one that I follow a lot. Had Jeffrey, you know, Pat on just a couple weeks ago. It's a, a site and a, an organization, a company um, that, that I respect. And then you have MLB pipeline, you have FanGraphs, and you have, you know, so many of these that have, um, more contacts than i could ever imagine the scouts uh the the developmental you know people within the development departments uh for each organization and, and it's also their job i mean this is me doing this as a fan um, and just trying to give you some insight from a fan perspective with a little bit of that education into that because it's it's a passion of mine but I mean, I really don't see the point of me doing, you know, a top 30 list when all of the research or I shouldn't say all of the research, but probably the majority of the research that I would be doing would be coming from, you know, those sites and other those sites I listed and other ones. So it would really just be almost like a duplication of those lists. I mean, obviously. I do have you know some people that I talk to within the Pirates minor league system, from the broadcasters to some players to some scouts, um, and different stuff. But it wouldn't be you know the same amount of information that those sites uh, are able to pull. And you know I just would rather go to them and see you know their scouting reports on the players, their takes on the players, and speak to them um, as opposed to just trying to. Come up with something that would be almost like somewhat of a carbon copy uh, of their list. Everybody knows me by now. When I start doing something in a first segment, I go on rants, I go on little vents, end up going a little bit longer than, you know, I really expected to go on that because the title of this, you know, peaking my interest, it's the Pirates prospects that I'm really kind of, I mean, kind of focusing in on. I said I don't do my own you know, top 30 list, but I do have you know, a, a list of prospects that I'm really looking forward to seeing this year uh, for one reason or another. Like I said, when I used to blog, I would do one of these every year, at least for the past two years. And so I am decided to kind of do this in the you know podcasting form because it's my more natural form now um, and talk about those. So just wanted to go over Uh, the articles do still exist uh, on uh, it's it's Steel City Pirates now Uh, Gary Morgan really good friend of mine still uh, there still exist on there it was under the inside the box basement uh, umbrella but um, back in 2022 the players um, that kind of piqued my interest and a lot of these happened for you know Usually kind of the same reasons, Uh, whether it's I haven't really seen much of the player, if at all, from the previous season. So just really excited to see them, you know, get their first taste or get more of a taste of professional baseball. It could be somebody uh, that was acquired in a trade either, you know, late in the season or during the offseason. So just a lot of different reasons. Or it's a guy that you know you haven't uh, you really expected maybe more from them, but they haven't performed up to the level yet, and you're maybe looking for that breakout season. So back in 2022, before that season started, uh, the list of players that kind of piqued my interest were Anthony Solamedo, um Alexander Mojica, Bubba Chandler, Solomon McGuire, and Kyle Nicholas. Uh, Solomedo fell into that. You know, haven't seen the guy yet uh, just because he had been drafted and, you know, didn't really get to see him pitch. So uh, Mojica was a guy that I expected more from, was looking to see if he could bounce back. Uh, Bubba Chandler it was kind of just like one to see – know at that point in time how he was going to balance the hitting and the pitching uh, and and was really looking forward to and had a trip planned down to Bradenton that year so was going to get to see him play Um, Solomon McGuire um, an international signing signed very young out of Australia had you know a decent amount of injuries didn't get much playing time and you know really wanted to see how he would perform And then Kyle Nicholas, obviously, was, you know, from the Jacob Stallings trade. So I, you know, wanted to see how he would perform within the system. Uh, In 2023, uh, Thomas Harrington kind of fell into the Anthony Solamedo, I guess, category because really didn't get to see him pitch, but was also excited to see him pitch. Uh, Scott Randall, a guy that a lot of Pirates, even prospect fans, may not remember. He came over. Uh, when we traded a Diego Castillo, but unfortunately he was out of all of 2023 with an, uh, an undisclosed injury. Didn't still didn't get to see him play. Uh, Tamar Johnson. I mean that one I said was I it was an easy one, and I think it was maybe I called it cheating uh, when I was making the list, just because I mean, but I was excited and I wanted to see how he would move throughout the system. Unfortunately, started the year with a little bit of an injury, uh, then was able to finally get going in Bradenton, promoted to Greensboro. So he could be a guy. I mean, he's not piquing my interest as much anymore, but still excited to see him play um, in 2024. I had Jared Jones on there. Uh, Sometimes I pick guys because I thought I was going to get to see him pitch more because I go to, you know, more Altoona curve games than – you know any other affiliate within the Pirates, you know, organization, I got a pretty quick promotion to Indianapolis. Luckily, I have MILB TV, so was able to see you know a decent amount. I made sure I was watching a decent amount of his starts out there, um, but just kind of wanted to see how he would you know develop throughout the upper minors, and then finally Malcolm Nunez, just because the Pirates haven't had a uh, a first baseman you know developed throughout their system or in their system since Kevin Young I mean Josh Bell did have some some really good times with the pirates, but never for like a full season so just one to see you know Malcolm Nunez extremely young and just wanted to see how he would perform. And this is just another one of those where it's like, unfortunately, you know, didn't get to see him as much. Went on the IL um, on May 27th and didn't return to the Indianapolis Indians. Did do some rehabbing uh, throughout the lower levels and, and, and up, uh, but didn't come back until, you know, August 8th and really didn't have that great of a season. So... He gets to go on my list again for 2024. Malcolm Nunez still uh, going to be 23 years old on March 9th, so a little over a month from now. Um, as I said, you know, last year in Triple A, 271 plate appearances, slashed 237, 314, 357 only a 69 WRC+, plus struck out at a 23% K rate, uh, 7% based on ball rate, um, did have the 208 uh, ISO. Uh, so that's like one thing that, you know, he does still have some of that power. Um, but looking at it, in, and I've talked about this before, in 2022, Was seen as a very hitter-friendly ballpark in uh, Double A. He got 350 plate appearances before he came over in the Jose Quintana deal with Johan Oviedo. Slash 255, 360, 463, a 110 wRC plus, 20.3% K rate, a 13.7 base on ball rate. And here's the thing is, I mean, when he came over to Pitt, uh, when he came over here and he came over to Altoona, when he came to Pittsburgh, um, he had 126 plate appearances, so obviously a smaller sample size, Uh, 286, 381, 476. So actually had a better on-base percentage, better average, you know, better slugging percentage. WRC Plus went from 110 to 134. Uh, strikeout rate went up a little bit uh, from 20.3 to 21.4, but you saw the base on ball rate stay almost exactly the same, 13.7, 13.5. Just want to see um, if he can stay healthy this season. Definitely you know, want to see if you know he's a guy that. You know, you have Roddy Telez there on a one-year deal. You brought in some guys on some minor league, you know, the the NRI's, the the you know non-roster invitee to spring training. Um, but realistically, is is a guy that I want to see a full season at Indianapolis and kind of see what he can do. Uh, number two on my list is Sung Che Chang, uh, a guy that. I've watched since his time in Bradenton, have always really liked him, um, added to the 40-man uh, during this off season. We've seen, you know, Ben Charrington, when he adds guys to the 40-man, uh, usually, you know, you will see them uh, before the end of the season the majority of the time. Uh, so, I mean, lit it up in Greensboro. Uh, 254 plate appearances, slash 308, 406, 575, with a 163 wRC plus, striking out 18.5 percent of the time, walking 13.8 percent of the time. I, uh, but you knew, almost knew it wasn't completely sustainable. Um, the 206 ISO with nine home runs in Greensboro. Um, it, Talked about Greensboro a bunch of times, you know, the the bandbox and even within you know the whole Sally League, uh, just a lot of of smaller stadiums. So really wanted to see what would happen to him when he came to Altoona. Had 281 plate appearances there, saw everything, you know, kind of fall. It's a 251 average, 304 on base percentage, 352 um in the slugging an 80 WRC plus uh, K rate stayed right around the same 18.5 in Greensboro 18.9 uh, in Altoona did see the base on ball rate drop 13.8% uh, to 6% um, in Altoona just really want to see you know I know that there's times when guys, when they get elevated up to another level, they do struggle. But when they come back that next year, they can get off to, you know, a better start and just, you know, get more comfortable at that level. I mean, obviously the Pirates see something in him added to, you know, the 40 man. But it's just a guy that... I mean, I'm going to be keeping that extra eye on. So maybe it's not even like piquing my interest. Maybe it's guys I will keep an eye on. And the next two guys are kind of a package deal. I usually do these in fives. But I'm going to cheat here a little bit and and give you two guys together. Uh, first one is Esther Suero, the 18-year-old outfielder um, that came over in the Rich Hill G-Man Choi trade to the Padres. Uh, the second guy also came over in that trade, um, Jackson Wolf, and so for one, Jackson Wolf is a former Mountaineer. You know, West Virginia is my baseball team, so maybe that's cheating even more on this one. But for you know the first one, Esther Suero, it was Jackson Wolf, Alfonso Rivas, who they just basically needed a a first baseman you know, who wasn't going to kill them defensively um, at that point in time, and Suero, so it's Jackson Wolfe, Alfonso Rivas, Esther Suero. Uh, Suero, in, uh, he was in the complex league for the Padres. When he came over to the Pirates, he was in the Florida complex league. Uh, definitely didn't get a ton of plate appearances last year. Uh, For the Padres, he had 160 plate appearances, uh, slash 216, 306, 345, with a 65 WRC+. Had a 30.6% K rate, obviously not great. Uh, Did have the 10% base on ball rate. Very small sample size when he came over to the Pirates, 58 plate appearances. You saw the average stay around the same. He was a 217. I uh, saw the on-base percentage go from 306 to 379. Saw a little bit of the power go away, not really much, 345 to 326. WRC Plus jumped to 99, so just a little bit below average. And then the good part was is the base on ball rate doubled, um, and that went you know to 20%, uh, and the K rate dropped by 10% down to 20.7%. So really, kind of you know, excited to see what he can do, um, where he'll start, whether it's going to be back in the Florida Complex League, if he's going to be, you know, up in Bradenton uh, this year. If he isn't right away, then uh, definitely I, he will be there by the end of the season. And then Wolf, uh, the one thing you know, a lot of people said is you know he did have um, an MLB appearance uh, for the Padres, um, but prior uh, to the deal. He was in double A for the Padres. He was also in double A in Altoona for the Pirates. Uh, the big thing, you know, is that everything kind of stayed like fairly similar. He had a 408 ERA for the Padres, a 425 ERA uh, in Altoona, a 1.09 whip with the Padres. Great. A 1.17 whip for uh, Altoona. Also, still really good. Uh, the one thing that did happen when he came over here, we saw a drop in his K rate. Um, he was hit uh, a rate of like over 10 uh, batters per nine innings when he was with the Padres. It went down uh, to just a little bit over seven. Uh, batters per nine when he was with the pirates uh, in altoona so that's like kind of something to look on but definitely want to see a lot more of him so i'm going to call that like number three together uh, this one number four might surprise some of you guys who listen to this uh, podcast a lot uh, gonna be jack Brannigan. Uh, he is a a non-roster invitee. Uh, don't ever question his uh, his defensive ability, um, and don't question a ton about his offensive prowess. Uh, the big thing for me um, it is the K rate, and I'll definitely get to that. Is that in Bradenton uh, this past season, 201 plate appearances slash 253. 398, 451, had the 26.9% K rate, 15.9% base on ball rate, seven home runs, a, a 135 WRC plus, was having a really good year down there, exploded when he went to Greensboro, which is something, you know, that was why I, I kind of just want to see this guy in Altoona and, and see, you know, what's real and what's not. Uh, But he had 173 plate appearances in Greensboro, slash 299, 382, 605 on the slugging, 12 home runs. The thing for me, though, is the 33.5% K rate. Saw that jump, you know, almost a full 7% while the base on ball rate went down a little bit, 12.1%. I mean, numbers go up in Greensboro. It's it's, it's just kind of something that happens. And I guess I mean the guy who I have fifth here uh, is is another guy which you know won a seed that from Greensboro to Altuna and it, and it's Jace Bowen. Uh, Jace is is a player that I really really like. Uh, he had 493 plate appearances in Greensboro, uh, 257, 333, 469. A 117 WRC plus, which when you see an astronomical number like Jack Brannigan had of like a 159, uh, what what Sung Chai Chang had, the, the 117 is not great, especially when he had 23 home runs uh, to go with you know 24 stolen bases. The K rate uh, not super high, 24.5 percent. Based on ball rate, down below two, the uh, down below 10 percent though at 7.1. Uh, only a small cup of coffee in Altoona, 33 uh, plate appearances, slash 219, 242, 438, uh, with 77 WRC+. K rate, once again, not terrible for a guy that's you know going to be showing some power, 21.2%, only a 3% based on ball rate. But like I said, extremely small sample size. In the larger sample size, 7.1% would like to see that come up a little bit. Um, but these are probably two guys that I'm hopefully going to be seeing a lot in Altoona. And those are the guys that I have my eyes on and they're piquing my interest. A pitcher of beer, a pitcher of beer. Let's order another pitcher of beer. That pitcher of beer should come over here. I love that pitcher of beer. Obviously, going long on this one again because of how long the first segment went. I do apologize. Going to get this in in under 40 minutes because uh, we're 30 minutes a box here and got to do that. i I'd already gone longer than I expected. Uh, so for the beer reviews here, uh, luckily, I uh, was able to go out for a friend's birthday. Uh, not this weekend, obviously, with the sick kiddo. Uh, but this past weekend, met them, met him and his wife uh, up at uh, Manaka Brewing Company. Took took the wife, took the kiddo before he got sick um, up there. And I only had three beers. Usually I have four bo- beers. But I'm going to give you three beer reviews, Manaka Brewing, Manaka PA. First one was the Hazy Kazy, obviously a Hazy IPA, 5% uh, ABV, give that one a 450, knock it down to 400. And then there was Lucifer's Landing, which was a, a blueberry fruited IPA, not something I've really had before, but it had like and I don't really even like blueberries, but it had an, like not an overwhelming flavor to it. It was very light, refreshing. So I, I kind of had to judge this one on the weighted based on batting average a little bit. Gave it a 450 as well, but only took it down to a 425 because usually fruited stuff is not my thing. And this time it, it really was. And the last one I had to try because I will try anything with an umlaut. And this is the schme. Uh, Vienna Lager, also 5%. Give that one a 450. Knock it down to 425. Would normally knock it down to 400, but because it has an umlaut, it only gets the .025 deduction on the weighted based on batting average scale. Appreciate you guys that are checking in and listening to this. Appreciate you sticking around for the whole show. Appreciate that, you know, you're still downloading this and listening to it. Um, Even though it's a little late, we'll do my best to get this out back on time. Because that's the one thing in the podcasting world um, is consistently. I know some of you probably do look forward to this. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Hopefully it's coming to you on Saturday morning.